Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The Lakers had themselves a day. What an absolute clown show. A slow-moving train wreck that I could not take my eyes off of yesterday afternoon. And based on what they put out there yesterday, this thing is not going to turn around anytime soon, if ever at all. The Lakers are still the Lakers, utterly dysfunctional and becoming a bigger joke by the minute. Yesterday, they finally got around to actually telling Frank Vogel that he was fired. Roughly half a day after they told the entire world that Frank Vogel was fired. And if you were looking for Rob Palenka to own how horribly he and they handled that, you were begging There is so much blame to go around, but nobody was looking to accept any of it. And I mean nobody. All this talk about accountability and not a damn person accepting any at all. Rob Lowe Palenka even dropped this line. Today's not going to be a a day of like finger pointing or unwinding all the specific reasons. We just felt organizationally at the highest level it was time for a new voice. And those decisions are made at the very top level in a collaborative way. (laughs) It is so good. Today is not going to be a day of finger pointing. Today is not going to be a day of finger pointing. The hell are you talking about, Lo? The hell you mean today is not the day of finger pointing. You just broke off your head coach. That's a finger point. And the way you did it, is a middle finger point to that guy. And then acting like you didn't do it and then refusing to discuss what you think you didn't do is a middle finger point to the rest of us. Dysfunctional much, Low. Let me help you out here, Low. Firing your head coach is by definition pointing the finger. You're saying this guy is the reason we lost. This guy is the reason why this team was the biggest bust in franchise history. And the hilarious thing is, everybody knows that that's not the case. If you're firing the head coach, you're saying that a different head coach could have done a better job, and everybody knows that nobody was going to contend for crap with that crap roster. You could have taken Pop, Phillip, and Coach K, put them all on the same staff. With that crap roster, and maybe, maybe with that coaching staff, maybe you make it to the playing game. Maybe. The coach was not the problem. Oh, and neither were injuries. Another load of bull crap that LeBron, AD, and everybody else in that organization is trying to sling. Plenty of teams have plenty of injuries, and they did not go into the tank like the Lakers did. Hell, the Miami Heat? They ran 23 different lineups out there this year, and they're the top seed in the East. So stop insulting us also with this bullcrap about how we were hurt. We didn't get enough time on the floor together. The Lakers were garbage when their big three did play together, and they were garbage when the big three didn't play together. The coach was not the problem. The bullcrap roster was the problem. The bullcrap organization overall is even worse. Like, at this point, there isn't anybody there who's not to blame. Yet, no one is accepting any blame at all. Extreme ownership? I've never seen less ownership. Of course, you're pointing the finger. You just fired your head coach. 
Look, again, I'm not saying that Frank Vogel did his best work ever this season. But if you think there's a coach alive who could have won anything that mattered with this crew, then you're an idiot. Polinka couldn't even take responsibility for the easiest and most obvious thing to take responsibility for. The fact that they humiliated their championship-winning head coach by leaking the report that he'd be fired Sunday night before actually getting around to firing the guy on Monday. Instead of saying something like, we screwed that up, we handled that all wrong, Polenka went with this instead. In terms of media reports that are speculative and unsourced, um, we don't spend any of our time reacting to that type of information in terms of how we make decisions here. Yet one problem, Robert, it was sourced. It was right there on the first sentence of that report. And it wasn't speculative. It was accurate right down to the time frame of when Vogel would be told that he was going to be fired. Woj was 100% correct. And you 100% look like a jackass. Just own it, man. Just own it. Don't make this any worse. Don't embarrass yourself any more than you already have. But of course, that wasn't happening. No way. However, give the guy this. Give the guy this. He did effectively say, if you want to blame anybody for this crap-filled roster, go ahead. Blame me. Do not blame the GM. At the end of the day, the roster decisions ultimately rest on my shoulders. And I will take input from LeBron and Anthony as our two captains. I have done that during my entire tenure. But at the end of the day, I think... I'm the one who leads the basketball operations department and, and will take ultimate accountability for the roster decisions are made. Oh, so you will take ultimate accountability for the roster decisions that are made. Cool. Good. Cool. Thanks for that. Now quit. Now quit. Do the right thing, Rob. Quit. Walk away. Leak to Woj today that you're going to be fired tomorrow and then fire yourself tomorrow. Like, if you don't do that, it's just a reminder of what a garbage organization this has become. Like, what head coach worth a damn is going to want any part of this? What head coach worth a damn is going to want to work and do a job there if Palenka is still there? I said it yesterday. Doing Vogel, the way they did Vogel, was not just a terrible look. It was terrible for business. That no coach worth a damn would want to work for an organization that just did a guy that dirty that led them to a world championship a year and a half ago. Oh, and what do you know? What do you know? One of the guys that they are reportedly interested in, Quinn Snyder, according to the LA Times, is now, quote, less interested in the Lakers after seeing how they did Vogel. No way, really? So you need to do what's best for the organization, Rob. Quit. You put together a team that went three months without consecutive wins. You lost nearly 50 games. I mean, I I can't be emphatic enough about this. It was the worst season in franchise history. Firing the coach is not going to fix that because that was the least of your problems. The Lakers have gone from like the, the, the class of the NBA to the most delusional organization in the association. 
And that says something now. And it starts at the very top, and it goes all the way down through the organization right into the locker room. Because believe me, these guys who are in the locker room are just as delusional as the people on top in the front office. They'll get their own take. But a new coach is not going to solve the problems. Not when Rob Palenka and the Rambi are roaming the crypt. And it's all happening with the smart bus running the show. How about that? It's all happening with the smart bus running the show. I'm starting to think it might be better if the really tall bus who wanted to go to jockey school actually ran things. I mean, good luck finding a coach that matters now. Do you really think that Nick Nurse is going to want a job where he has to answer to Kurt Rambis? Do you really think that Quinn Snyder wants to balance input from Rob Palenka and Linda Rambis? Or wants to hear what the owner's ex-fiance has to say? Man, you give it a minute. You go ahead. You give it a minute. And Travis Knight and Chris Mim will be special advisors in telling the new coach what to do. Man, classless and delusional is a horrible way to go through life, Rob. But it is the Laker way. This dude, this dude starting the presser off with, today is not going to be a day that we're going to point the finger. Today is not going to be a day of finger pointing. That's rich. That's rich. That's like akin to Jim Harbaugh starting off a smack-off call by saying, eh, Romy, today is not a day of smack. Romy, it's good to be on the smack-off. I just want to say thanks for taking my call, and uh, I'd like to wish everybody out there a very uh, happy holiday and and uh, I don't really have a whole lot of smack to say today. Today's just not a day to point the finger. Today's you fired not your coach, be a dude. day of finger pointing. You fired your coach, dude. I mean, you know Jimmy Dolan is in his home music studio tuning into the Laker presser and telling himself, Damn, these people are dysfunctional. Wow. Hey, listen, skincare can be really complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. This is where Tej Hanley comes in. Tej Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. I'll tell you what, you should start with the level one system. It is the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin. I'm telling you, I love the product because I was one of those guys. Even as somebody who's on TV or in front of a camera, I never really had that great routine, and now I do. And I do because of Tej Hanley. Listen. Because Tej Hanley is sponsoring today's app, they're offering you an amazing deal. Just go to Tej.com slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. It is an amazing deal. Tej.com slash Rome. We are joined by Bob Melvin. Bob, it is so good to have you back. How are you, Bob? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Always good to talk to you. I appreciate the visit. You won that series opener with the Giants. As a Bay Area guy, what's it been like returning to the Bay Area for the series? Why don't we start right there? Yeah, I look, it's it's always special to be here. You know, obviously in Oakland, we played here every year. Um, you know, grew up in the Bay Area and, you know, just, just one 
time I always kind of mark on the schedule that we get to play the Giants and, and now in a different uniform. So lucky to be able to come here three times a year. It's a really good team to play, but but always special when I'm at home. We're talking to Bob Melvin. Bob, it's such a long, long year, and I know you're starting to get a better feel for things and learn your team and everything that comes along with it. I'm curious, five games in, have you learned anything about the team that maybe you didn't know when you first took that job? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of things, actually. You just you go into a different organization, just how things are done differently, you know, how you how you deal with manage up, uh, you know, just, it's just, I don't know why I thought that you go to another organization and it would be similar because I have been in other organizations before, but it's just getting acclimated. I can't wait to get back to San Diego and actually play in that fantastic ballpark, Uh, but getting to know the players in a shortened spring, kind of figuring out where our bullpen goes at this point, and it's still kind of a little bit of a work in progress. So a lot of things that uh, you just kind of have to take take a deep breath and know it's going to take a little bit of time. But, you know, we've gotten off to a decent start. Bob Padres, manager Bob Melvin joining us. Bob, you're right about that. You said it's going to be great to get back to San Diego and get to that great ballpark. But then you've got the fans themselves. You've got the home opener on Thursday. I know that when you came down to San Diego with the A's, that Padre fan base made a really strong impression on you. How eager are you to have that crowd rooting for you instead of against you? Yeah, you know what, that that might be as incentivized as, as it gets around here, knowing that, you know, you're going to play in front of that, that crowd. And, and last year, I think they were second in attendance and really didn't even open up full uh, until a little bit later in the season. Uh, it was a special time. Everybody in our dugout, you know, it was a Tuesday night, and it was packed, and it felt like almost like playoff atmosphere or a, or a big weekend series, and it seems to, to be that way every every night. It's the only game in town there in San Diego, and – the fans are into it, it probably as much as ever in, in franchise history. So looking forward to, you know, getting in front of those fans and letting them, you know, kind of root us on and feel that momentum every night. We're talking to Bob Melvin. So, Bob, not to spend a lot of time on this, but one quick thought, one quick question. You had a nice thing going, a good thing going in Oakland. You were having success there. What was it that let you know that it was time to move on? You know, you know, I think you just feel like maybe at, at some point in time it's time and they – I knew that was, there was going to be some trades and so forth. We went through a couple rebuilds when I was there. Not that they won't be competitive because Billy and David always put a competitive team on the field no, what they're, no, no matter what the, the payroll is. But just all things considered, um, it, it just felt like after 10 years, maybe a new chapter. So uh, I, can't, I can't think of a better place to be able to do that and spend a summer in San Diego. Uh, not going to be too bad. Fair enough. Bob Melvin joining us. You know, it's been an interesting start to the year already. Opening day, you Darvish had a no-hitter going through six. You made the decision to remove him. Then the next day, Sean Mania threw seven innings of no-hit ball. You made the decision to remove him as well. The story goes, Bob, that before last week, you had never taken a pitcher with a no-hitter out of a game, and then you had to do it twice in a row. Given the short spring training, were they tough decisions or maybe pretty simple? You know, tough in that you never want to do that, but pretty simple in we have to look at guys' health. I mean, they only had three starts in spring training. Guys went out there not even five times, you know, got up five times as, as far as innings go in spring training. So you have to be cognizant of that. But it hurt my heart to take guys out of games where they, you know, potentially had a chance to, to throw no hitters. But 
you know what, looking back at it, it, I believe it was the right thing to do. You know, we're trying to get through a 162-game season with a shortened spring. So starting pitching is really one of the strengths of this team, and I just can't put them in a bad position to where yeah. I'm asking too much too early. I'm sorry to interrupt, Bob. I was going to say I agree with you. Of course, you didn't take the ball from me, but I, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, you, you absolutely have to look out for the well-being of the entire team and the staff. What about Manaya? What's it been like having him in San Diego? What does he bring to the team in terms of on-field performance, but also as a teammate and a guy in that clubhouse? Amazing teammate. Supports everybody. Uh, you know, I've been telling the guys here, you're, you're never going to have a better teammate than this guy. You know, during the COVID season when when pitchers had to sit in the stands, he was making signs out for, you know, holding up signs for players. And, you know, he brings a lot of levity. Uh, you, you know, he, it's consistent attitude and a consistent personality every day. You can't tell on the day that he's pitching that it's pitch day for him because he's just such a good guy and in such a good mood all the time. And then you then you factor in the performance that's been really consistent for me over the years. And it, it's also nice to have somebody here that I know that can kind of relate to the players, kind of how I do things and, and maybe bridge that gap of, of not really knowing guys early on here. So there's a lot of aspects of uh, great aspects to have Sean I here. You know, Bob, a couple of things before you go. In terms of the way you do things, this is really interesting. But after you were hired, former relief pitcher Jerry Blevins told MLB Radio that you're his favorite manager ever and that you have it in your DNA to get the very best out of people. Brian Price, the former Reds manager who joined you in San Diego, told The Athletic, quote, if you're going to die on a hill, there are only a few people in your life that you die on a hill for, and he's one of them. I mean, this is really, really high praise and it's the way that you have of getting the very best out of people. How do you do that? What is your approach for that? You know, I wish I could tell you, just be myself. You know, you try to communicate with everything you do, you know, whether guys are going to play on a certain day, what pinch hit roles might be, trying to get the bullpen squared away each and every day, and that takes a lot of communication to let guys know who's available, what their roles are. And, and just be yourself. You know, you, you, as a manager, you have to command respect. And I think if you do that early on and then, then the, you know, the friendships come after that, I think that's kind of the, the way to play it. At least it's been fairly successful for me. It's humbling to hear those things, you know, especially for a guy like, you know, Jerry Blevins was a guy I had to send up and down in, in Oakland a lot and had to communicate and have tough conversations with him. So I appreciate him saying that. And and Brian Price is just one of my best friends, you know, not only in the game, but just, you know, on a personal level. So um, I think he's a little biased. Well, yeah, that, but maybe not. I think most guys, wouldn't you agree about that? They just want, they'll they'll have the tough conversation. As long as you look them in the eye and you shoot them straight, they not only appreciate that, I, I think they kind of embrace that tough conversation, right? That's how you stay connected to guys, by having that tough conversation and shooting them straight always. Exactly. And you have to, I always frame it in, you know, this is what's best for the team. If you can take a step back, you know, I always try to look and, and, and be in your shoes and know what you're dealing with and, and, you know, know how you want to succeed, what role you want. But at the end of the day, you have to be, take a look at, you know, being in my shoes too. And that I'm trying to do the best I can for the team. And I think Hopefully it, it comes off uh, authentic that way. And, uh, you know, so far so good with all the guys here. They've been great. And, and you know, even a guy like Eric Hosmer with a day off the other day against the lefty kind of knew that was coming. He was all for it. He was ready to come off the bench. So, you know, the guys here have really made it easy on me. Bob Melvin joining us. So one last thought. When you were hired, you made the point that Fernando Tatis Jr. is, quote, maybe 
the most exciting young player in the game. And to quote, I would agree with that. What's it been like to be without him for a few months? And what's the time frame for his return? Yeah, that happened. You know, we come to spring training and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, kind of first day there with position players, all of a sudden we have to deal with that. But, you know, you're going to go through adversity over the course of the season. I don't know. It's a, it's a, a horrible thing not to be at full strength right away, try to create an identity that we're going to, you know, play hard in these games, you know, do things fundamentally sound, no unforced errors, try to win some games where maybe we're not full force in offense yet. And I think if you can create that, then once you get guys back, and we have more guys coming out of the bullpen and out of the rotation with Clevenger and guys like that too, I, I think the, the momentum starts to build. And, and now all of a sudden you feel like you're getting better as the season goes along, even though you're getting off to a decent start. So, um, you know, that's just kind of how I look at that. Yeah, I would think there's an opportunity in that to be sure. He's in his first season with the Padres. He's a three-time manager of the year. San Diego is out to a 4-1 and one start. They're at San Francisco this evening. Bob Melvin, my guest. Bob, really good to get caught up. Always good to have you on this show. I appreciate the relationship and the conversation as always. Bob, thanks so much. Anytime for you, Jim. Hey, clones. What do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? All right, so in baseball, the most viral moment from Major League Baseball last night came on a hit-by-pitch. Normally, you see something like that. It's not all that exciting. You know, right? So somebody wears one. Big deal. That'll happen. Unless you saw what happened last night. Unless you saw the clip of A's catcher, Sean Murphy, taking a slide piece to the backside. Then you're not just excited, you are mesmerized. If you have not seen this, you need to track this clip down because even I'm not sure I can do it justice with a mere description. Like, I'm going to do my very best, but you need to really see it to appreciate it. I'll do my best. Let's just say that Murph's backside is... Well, frankly, hard to put into words. I can tell you this much. My dude's glutes were definitely firing. My, my glutes are shutting off. Not his. And social media lost its collective freaking mind when it happened. Like, what I'm saying is, this dude's ass broke the internet. This guy's ass is the breakout star of the first week of the MLB season. You may as well just call it now America's ass time. And make Sean Murphy the commissioner. Because my dude's ass has done more to save that game than Rob Manford ever has or ever will. 
That's for damn sure. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is Murphy twerked that ass to take that hit by pitch and produce the most mesmerizing MLB viral video since the Trey Turner pop-up slide. My guy's backside just made him one of the biggest stars in baseball overnight. I mean, seriously, get used to this guy's ass because it's going to be all over your social media timelines forever. Forever. And the comments are amazing. People are calling that play a, quote, but for a base hit. They're calling it, quote, the world's luckiest baseball. It's so good. They're calling a hit by pitch in a Rays A's game, quote, delicious. Like, who knew baseball would have such wide mm. appeal? Watch this. Oh! Oh! Incredible. I, I mean, how many people are sliding into that guy's DMs after that? Who knew baseball could have such a wide appeal? Shohei Otani is magic and a phenomenon and pretty much the greatest thing that has ever happened to that sport. But I'm not even positive that he has the star power to compete with Sean Murphy's booty. I can't even imagine what that dude must have been thinking when he got back to his cell phone after the game. Because his ample buttocks, buttocks. transcended baseball last night. Sean Murphy's ass owns the entire internet today. I mean, be honest, clones. You're mesmerized watching that video. Be honest. You're doing butt clenches from your office chair as I'm talking. I am. You know Murphy does not miss a lunge day or a squat day. No chance. Hey, Manford. Hey, Manford. No need for you to be butt hurt. Murphy is the hero that baseball needs. The hero that we all need. He is single-handedly saving baseball one cheek at a time. Manfred's all up in here dropping noise-canceling cans while Murphy is offering up Velocity canceling buns. Buttocks. Buttocks. I'm telling you, if this guy played for the Angels, he'd be accused of buttocks. Buttocks. Implants. Back in the day, the A's were all about the Bash Brothers. Brothers. 2022, it's all about. The butt brother. <laughs> brother. <laughs> Makes you wonder. Like, I don't know, maybe a guy like Mike Sosha. If he ever took one to his ass, that ball probably would have cleared the pavilion. Base is juiced. Oh, Sosha taking one off the buttocks, and buttocks. it bounces off the scoreboard. 
I don't know. What's that say about baseball that that's like the best thing that's happened in a long time? That might be the best thing that happens all year. And I say that in a year where Shohei Otani is still better than Mickey Mantle. Imagine being this dude and getting back to his locker. Yeah, I think I'll check out the iPhone and see what's up. Whoa! Eight billion mentions. What happened? What did I do tonight? Didn't I get hit by a pitch? Hey, you know, the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a single day. Well, the same is true when it comes to long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then, Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Do this. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one to sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are all proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Nakobe Dean is my guest. Nakobe, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How y'all doing? Good. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. I appreciate it. So in the last few months, you have led Georgia to a national championship. You have collected one football honor after another. You've been recognized for your work off the field. You're getting ready for the draft. I got to ask, what have the last few months been like for you and your family? Been crazy. You know, everything's been moving at 100 miles per hour. So, like, I haven't really sat down to take a breath. But, you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be in this position uh, to have this opportunity that I do have. You know, something that I been praying for been working towards uh, a long time. You know, you've put yourself in this position. I want to say something. I want to get into the football aspect of this, but there's something about you that I find really interesting. Like, you've got the draft process coming up, but your time in college was crazy busy, not only with football, but you also pursued a degree in, of all things, mechanical engineering. First of all, what attracted you to mechanical engineering? And then how were you able to balance school and football? Well, you know, I knew it coming into college, I wanted to, uh, you know, major in something that was that I felt like had some, um, you know, had some had some weight on it. Uh, either way, because if I if I wasn't playing ball, I probably would want to be a doctor anyway. But kind of got into school. Uh, I, I was gonna what I was gonna do was go through pre med, uh, but I was gonna uh, major in mechanical engineering through it. Kind of got in school and I was like, I wasn't feeling pre-med no more, but I was still feeling uh, engineering because I wanted to like design and like build like either like prosthetics or braces or something of that sort. But uh, as far as you know, trying to juggle football and engineering, it, it was hard. I ain't gonna lie, to say the least, it wasn't it wasn't easy at all. Uh, I, at my freshman year, I had this thing I used to say I I can thrive off five. I mean, I only I only could get like five hours of sleep, uh, seemingly. So it was like um, it, that was basically the type of thing that I kind of uh, held, and I just had no idea to keep on working and keep on uh, just pushing uh, and praying and trying to get the, the the balance down right. I felt like I did the best uh, at that this season. 
Nicobe Dean is joining us. Dude, I love that. I love that line. I had to learn to thrive on five. I had to thrive on five, five hours of sleep. I, I'm just here to tell you, I, I'm amazed by this because I know that in a million years, I couldn't do either one of those things. I remember being in college. I mean, put football aside, dude. That was never going to happen. But being in college, I can remember being around other mechanical engineers, and I was blown away by the workload and how intense it was, and here you were doing both. You know, I wonder how one thing helps the other. As an example, you said growing up, I was able to understand the little stuff that coaches wanted me to do on certain plays quicker than most. So how much the, of your work as an engineering student helps you on the field and the details of football? Does that help? Yeah, it does. Um, I say uh, it mostly helps from the aspect of studying just because uh, I was – I know me always being a big studier in uh, school, I remember my first time ever studying in fifth grade when I was like, hold on, this stuff not coming as easy as I thought, <laughs> as it used to come in elementary school. I remember my first time really just sitting down and studying in fifth grade. And then uh kind of got to high school and it kind of, I just kind of uh, contributed that to football. Also that, uh, that studying, the study habits had to uh, continue. If I wanted to learn uh, the way I wanted to learn and be as good as I wanted to be on the field. Makes perfect sense to me. Then you led Georgia to the program's first national title in more than 40 years. What did it mean to be a part of the team that ended that drought and brought a national title back to Georgia? Man, it, it meant a great deal to me, you know, uh, to be able to do this with my brothers, you know, do this for the, uh, the state of Georgia, all the fans who have been waiting so long to get it. You know, it, it was one of the things that when I came to Georgia, that I set out to do, you know, uh, and that was winning the national championship. Uh, you know, it wasn't to uh, just make it to one, but it was to win one. And just be able to do that in the past and all the conversations we had about doing it, being able to get it done, you know, it's just, uh, just you know, definitely a great uh, sense of pride to me. Nicobe Dean, national champion, All-American, joining us on the program, getting ready for the upcoming NFL draft. Interestingly, you were a Steelers fan growing up. What was it about the Steelers that kind of got your attention, and is that a team that you might want to play for? Uh, I mean, it was the defense. Uh, say at least uh, I remember my first first time ever like game watching uh, NFL was the um, the Cardinals and the Steelers when they went at it. You know, I I just remember uh, Chopalu Malu and uh, James Harrison kind of uh, you know the plays they made that game, and I kind of just fell in love with the defense um, of the Steelers. So, and as far as me wanting to play with them, yeah, I played whoever whoever picked me. I'm gonna be forever grateful. You know, so I'm you know I'm just thankful to be in this position to even get drafted. All right, so those guys, I can imagine with James Harrison and Troy Palmolo, guys like that got your attention. I'm kind of curious, when you watch the NFL right now, who are some of the linebackers that jump out to you and that you might try to borrow from and learn from right now to play? I watch, uh, you know, I try to take a piece, bits and pieces of game of everybody that I like, you know, either, either like Eric Kendrick or um, Darius Leonard. Zach Cunningham in the run game, uh, Raquan Smith, you know, guys like that. I, I kind of just kind of uh, look at and study and see, like, what, what things I can use to help me. Nicobe, I'm always fascinated by guys and their journey and where they start and where they end up. You're from Horn Lake, Mississippi. What was life like growing up there? What's Horn Lake like? Uh, I mean – we, we we like it right outside of Memphis, Tennessee. So I live like on the border of uh, Memphis. So life life was, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was nothing that I uh, wanted too much that I didn't, that I didn't uh, have that I needed. 
You know, my mama did her best to take care of me, my brother, my sister. Uh, she she uh she was strict. She was strict, so she kept us out of all the uh, out of all the trouble. But it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was wasn't hard for trouble to find you. And it was definitely easy for you to find trouble. So as long as you kept your nose in the right places, you uh, stay focused. You should you should be good. That's another great line right there. Now your other your older brother made the point that you and the 2018 Horn Lake football team did so much to put that team on the map when you won the state championship. I don't want to lose track of that fact. What do you remember about that team? What made that team so special? Uh, I remember. I remember how connected we were. You know, we had been playing ball together since probably some of them guys on the team had been playing since they were in uh, elementary school. But uh, us as a team had been playing ball together since middle school. So um, I remember how connected we were and how much we wanted to do it for each other. And I also remember how doubted we were uh, and how we played with a chip on our shoulder uh, that whole season uh, just because we had – we kind of – the year before we, we was decent – we ended up getting stumped in the playoffs and choking. So we, we knew, remember how dotted we were and how, and how much we uh, had a mission. We did everything with a purpose. It was never a point in time where we had went out to practice or did something that we didn't have a purpose to. And I remember how how much fun it was, you know, being able to do it with those guys. Uh, that was probably the last time I knew I was going to play football without it being much of a uh, too much of a business and more so. Uh, just fun and, you know, being able to do it with the guys that, that you grew up with, so to speak, uh, before y'all even was playing organized sports together. Oh, dude, that is the best. That is the absolute best. You'll always have that. You'll always remember that. Obviously, no matter – I would imagine, and you'll see as time goes on, but no matter how much success you have and how many good things come your way, you will always have that. You'll always have that bond with those guys. So you win a championship right. in high school. You win a championship in college. So what do you want NFL teams to know about what you're going to bring to them in terms of mindset and being a winner? Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm bring that the winning mentality, you know. And I feel like when you say mindset, I feel like mine is second to none, you know. I'm at it's just as far as how I handle adversity, how I handle um, doubts, people doubting me, uh, people going against uh, what, what I can do or believe. You know, I've I, I faced that my whole life, so I feel like that, that winning mentality and that leadership, uh, that leadership aspect of myself, gonna uh, be bought to any any team who grabs me. I want to ask you one thing about mindset before you go. I think about this a lot now, and unlike you, I didn't think about it nearly as much at that age. But when you talk about mindset, obviously you have motivation. You have people doubting you. you got a chip on your shoulder. You've got that internal fire. You've got that drive. But in terms of developing mindset, right, I think we you'd agree with this. The muscle between your ears is the most important muscle. So how do you go about working that out? Like, is there a mental gym aspect to it? Do you go to work that muscle? How do you work that muscle? How do you improve mindset? Uh, for me, you know, I feel like, you know, lucky for me, it kind of was in my DNA, so to speak. I always kind of felt like I was um, the underdog growing up. If I if I was or wasn't, that's how I played. I always played with a big chip on my shoulder. And, you know, uh, and, and that's, not even, that's not even from the aspect of sports, but from the aspect of life. You know, I feel like, I feel like, uh, and anything I do, I felt like a lot of times the cards were stacked against me, and I had to uh, fight my way out of it. If it was an adverse situation, not not just in sports, but in uh, life and in, in, in uh, schoolwork and all things like this. So I felt like it was always work. Um, but I feel like the best thing you can do to probably exercise it is 
for me, the best thing I do is pray. You know, I pray on it uh, and continue to just be positive towards anything. You can control what I can control. You know, keep the main thing the main thing. Well, man, you are you are wise beyond your years. I like that a lot. Nicobe Dean, former Georgia linebacker. He is a national champion. He's an All-American. He's an All-SEC-er. He is the pride of Horn Lake, Mississippi, and the draft is coming up April 28th. It gets underway in Las Vegas. He will be a name that's called early on. Nicobe, great to have you on. Really appreciate you. Appreciate the conversation. Good luck, and I will look for you once you find out where you're going to live and work in the NFL, and I hope we can run it back again. All right, definitely. Thank you. Hey, listen, skincare can be really complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. This is where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. I'll tell you what, you should start with the level one system. It is the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin. I'm telling you, I love the product because I was one of those guys, even as somebody who's on TV or in front of a camera, I never really had that great routine, and now I do. And I do because of Tiege Hanley. Listen. Because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's app, they are offering you an amazing deal. Just go to Tiege.com slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. It is an amazing deal. Tiege.com slash Rome. In case you missed the Phillies game last night, you missed pretty much the ultimate Philly experience. All right, again, far be it from me as a Los Angeles native to say what the proverbial Philly experience is. However, as somebody who is an observer of Philly fan, an admirer of Philly fan, and I mean that sincerely, I'm just going to tell you from my perspective here in California what it was like to see that develop last night. Because to me, it was one of the most Philly nights ever. Philly fan, you correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will. Let me know if I'm wrong. Because where I'm sitting, it was one of the most Philly things and Philly nights I've ever seen. And if you missed it, you missed Alec Bohm becoming a Philly legend for the most Philly reason ever. No, it did not involve anybody chucking any D-cell batteries. Nobody was trying to climb any greased up Crisco'd light poles. Nobody was munching on any fresh horse pies. Nobody was booing Santa Claus. Nobody was booing Hall of Famer Mike Schmidt in an attempt to make him better. Nobody was cheering while Hall of Famer Michael Irvin lay motionless on the turf and we didn't know whether or not he was going to be able to walk ever again. None of that. But they were, in fact, booing one of their own, Alec Bohm. They were booing the ever living hell out of him. Because the third baseman was a complete disaster defensively against the Mets. Dude made three errors in the first three innings. And somehow he managed to catch way more heat for one of the plays that he actually did make. It sounded like this on Fox. See how teams use it going forward. Marte golfs one back to ball. Let's see how this one goes. This one a much cleaner throw. And he'll retire Marte. McCann stays at second base and there are two down. And a Bronx cheer. Yeah. By the way, not much better. Take the first baseman off the bag, but Bronx cheer. And a Bronx cheer. More yeah. like 
Philly jeer. But what makes that really crazy about that play is what you cannot see on the broadcast. They gave him a very sarcastic round of applause for not making a fourth error. But what you couldn't hear on the broadcast, you could very clearly see. Because Bohm got caught mouthing the words, quote, I effing hate this place. Because he absolutely dropped an actual F-bomb. He F-bombed the entire city of Philadelphia. And he did it right there in plain view of everybody at Citizens Bank Park. Not behind his glove, not back in the dugout to one of his guys, right there. And once the footage hit social media, the amateur lip readers had a freaking field day. Quote, I effing hate this place. It's incredible. I guarantee he's not the first athlete in Philly to think that. And he sure as hell will not be the last athlete in Philly to think that. But my dude, Alec Bohm, is the first one to say it out loud right to Philly fans' face. And even better than that, he came right out and he owned it right after the game. What about this video that surfaced? Have you heard about it and seen it? Yeah, yeah, I've heard. You know, look, emotions got the best of me. You know, I said it. And do I mean it? No. And it's a frustrating night for me, obviously. You know, made a few mistakes in the field. And look, these people, these fans, they just want to win. And I mean, you heard it. We come back, they're great. And, you know, Yes, I'm just, I'm sorry for them. You know, I, I don't mean that. And emotion just got the best of me. So you actually love this place? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Ownership, yo. Man, the Lakers can go to school on that. The Lakers own nothing. And this guy owned it. Like, the video had already made the rounds before he got back into the clubhouse. And then he handled that perfectly. No lame-ass excuses. No Bullcrap denial, just straight up Leif Babin style extreme ownership. Philly fan can respect the hell out of that. They already respect the hell out of that. Philly fan is like, of course you hate it. When you screw up as badly as you did, it's our job to make you hate it. It's our job to make you better at your job. And if we're not hating on you and making you hate us after one of the worst games ever, then we're not doing our job. Flip side of that, if you do your job really well and you come back, and they did, and your teammates do their job really well. And I don't know, maybe you win it all. We will slam horse crap sandals in your honor. We're only miserable when you're miserable between the lines. Except for those times in our lives where we're miserable, and that's why we're at the ballpark, to forget about our miserable lives. Anyway, if you're garbage... Say you're garbage, stop being garbage, and then we'll love you. And if you say you hate this effing place, admit that you said it, own it, apologize for it, actually mean the apology, and then Philly fan will respect you. Hell, they'll love you. Case in point, the WIP Morning Show ran a poll earlier this morning with the question, do you accept... Alec Bohm's apology for saying, I bleeping hate this place during last night's Phillies game. 
my dude at last check was polling it over 80%. 82.7. Let's go ahead and round that up. 83% accepted his apology, which is why I love Philly fan. You screw up, they will, they'll want to fight you. But if you do well, they'll climb light poles and eat horse crap for you. But even if you do screw up, they'll give you a second chance as long as you own it and you don't do it again. Even if screwing up includes you saying, I effing hate this place. What an amazing moment for a major leaguer to say that right there on the field in his home ballpark after making a play because they were cheering him sarcastically. Only in Philly. Bob Bradley is the head coach and the director of Toronto FC. He joins me once again. Bob, it is so good to have you back on the show. How are you? Jim, it's good to be with you. Thanks. It's great to have you, Bob. Thanks for making time. So you're coming off a draw against RSL that involved you coming from behind twice and then being a man down in the final minutes to finish it off. Knowing how hard it is to get a result in Salt Lake City like that, how pleased were you with the effort and the performance? Uh, the effort and the mentality uh, were both very good. Um, it's a group that uh, is finding good ways to work on the field, work in training. Uh, they compete. Uh, the mix between veterans and young guys, those things are positive. Uh, it's never easy playing great football uh, at RSL. Uh, I think part of the altitude and maybe a little bit the way they play. So I didn't think it was our best day with the ball uh, uh, building out of the back in the first half. They gave us trouble. Uh, but we fought through things and, and still took a good point. Bob Bradley joining us. Bob, you mentioned the mix of veteran guys and young guys. Let me ask you about the young guys. Both the goals on Saturday were scored by 19-year-olds, and they were quality finishes. How big was it to get those types of goals from two young guys on a tough road environment like that or in a tough road environment? Yeah, it was awesome. In fact, for both guys, it was their first uh, MLS goal. So Cozy Thompson uh, is a versatile player. He's been able to play uh, of late as a wingback for us. Um, and he came forward. And uh, another young player, Jacob Schaffelberg, got down the left, uh, cut a, a really good cross, and Cozy came in and volleyed it left foot. Uh, and then Jaden Nelson... Late in the game, uh, we helped win the ball off of Krylock, and he he saw the keeper was uh, out of the goal and really quickly took advantage. And uh, uh, for Jaden, that was a a really important goal for the team, and everybody was really excited for him because we see his talent day in and day out, and and that's a, a really important first goal. Bob Bradley joining us. Bob, you know how fans are, right? They love the next big thing. They love young guys with potential and upside, but it can be really challenging, it seems to me, for young guys to live up to that hype and that potential. You have a great track record of developing players for long-term success. So what is your method for bringing them along, and how do you know when to give them more without overwhelming them? Uh, Those are great questions. Um, Yeah, I I have been fortunate to work with some really, really good young players. And I always try to, to, with the staff, figure out how to push them forward, uh, reward them at the right times, challenge them, uh, encourage them. Uh, You know, you, you, you don't want to throw them in before they're ready, but you can't be afraid uh, to put them in when the time is right. And, and, and so 
Uh, it starts with training every day. I think young players have to establish themselves with the veterans by the way they train, by picking up things, by listening, by competing. Uh, and then when guys earn it in training, then I think they have the support of uh, the veterans. Bob Bradley is joining us once again. So, Bob, if we go back to training camp, it seemed like a big focus was improving the team's play in transition. Six games into the regular season, what do you make of what you've seen so far in that regard? Uh, we're still a work in progress. Uh, uh, I, I think that there are moments in every game where we have control. Uh, we're a team that passes the ball well. Uh, when we get across midfield, I think our ability to control the game from there is good. Um, but we, we still have been a little bit uh, up and down. Uh, we play against some teams that, that do very well playing off of second balls, where if we step up to press them, they play over the press. Uh, then there's a little bit of chaos between maybe a duel and a header and a loose ball. And then it's in some of those moments, uh, that we haven't been good enough. It happened a couple times against Red Bull, uh, very much their style. When you play Salt Lake uh, at their place, they aim a lot of balls for Krylak. Uh, he's good at positioning himself. Uh, so, so I think there's still moments in the games where our ability to handle those transitions can be a lot better. Talking to Bob Bradley, so to that regard, like you've made the point also that on good teams, when you lose the ball, everybody is on to the next moment quickly, getting into position immediately, working to get it back. But on bad teams, guys are out of position. They react slowly. I'm curious how you, how you go about changing that. Like, is that just talent or is that desire and accountability? Uh, that's work every day. Um, that's uh, developing better reactions. Uh, that's making sure that guys understand that if a ball pops loose and you're a few yards away and you can defend the ball quick, then that's more important than retreating to your position. Uh, so, so developing those reactions uh, and getting uh, the, the players to understand that, that you know, the, the, the first thing is the ball. And when you're close to the ball, can you close down? Can you put pressure? Can you win it? Uh, and then everybody else can position from there. We're talking to Bob Bradley. So, Bob, you and I talked over the years while you were at LAFC. You had a lot of success there. What was it about this particular opportunity with Toronto that appealed to you the most? Uh, tremendous potential here. The academy, um, there's a lot of diversity. There's kids from different backgrounds. Uh, I, I think um, – Fans have seen a lot of it with, with some of the young players in the Canadian national team. Um, but I really think that moving forward, uh, we can do a really good job with, with young talent coming through the academy. Uh, Toronto is a great sports city. They've embraced the team. The team has had success. And, and so we're trying to put all that together and, uh, and make a team that, that can compete at the top of the league and, and also do it by developing some really good players, bringing in some good players. Insignia is coming in a few months, um, but also developing some, some of our young talent. Speaking of which, he is coming. Lorenzo is coming in a few months, and yep. he is the biggest signing in league history. I know that you're not waiting until he comes to start building that culture, but what does the arrival of an elite player like that say about the club and the league overall? Well, with Toronto over the years, um, 
ownership has believed that it's important to bring big name players, um, players that are relevant to the to the market. Um, Toronto has an incredible Italian community, and so a player like Lorenzo is so special. Uh, you know, of all the teams in Italy, when you travel around the U.S. and Canada, uh, you, know, you run into a lot of places where, man, they love Napoli. Uh, and you get uh, people that have come from there, and that's still their team. Lorenzo's got personality. He's fun to watch. Uh, so I think here uh, it resonates in all ways. And Bobby, is there any part of you that's concerned that the younger guys might be actually too much in awe of Lorenzo? I think we can work through that in training every day. Um, when he gets here, uh, everyone tells me that, that he's just got a good way about him. He, uh, he's very excited. He was, he was FaceTiming with a couple guys last week, uh, uh, a friend of his was here, and then the next thing you know, he had Lorenzo on FaceTime with some of the guys as they were coming off the field from training, and, and every one of them was talking about how excited he is. Hmm. Bob Bradley joining me for another moment or so. So coming to Toronto, Bob, means that you get the chance to coach your son, Michael, once again. At that introductory press conference, you said, quote, Michael's in the back end of his career. I'll be interested when training starts to find ways to continue to open up his mind for how he can get better, end of quote. So what has that process been like, and how has he responded to your ways of opening up his mind? Uh, Michael's great to work with. He loves the game. He loves to train every day. Um, he's He's... He sees little things in the best players and the best teams. And so uh, when I point out certain things, if I reference uh, the way Busquets might close down a situation, then those things immediately resonate with him. He's always looking to get better. And uh, he, he, he has also shown that he, his way in the group with the other veterans, with the young guys, setting the example every day, uh, that part – uh, he does an excellent job with. So I, um, I, I'm excited to see it every day, and we continue to try to push him along. Hey, I don't want to get greedy, but really quickly, Bob, in the past we've talked about your time with Egypt's national team and how to engage people. Is your ability to engage with players, staff, the community, something that's just been kind of natural for you always, or is that a skill that you had to develop and work on and still actually try to improve? Uh, always trying to improve it, you know, finding the right way to connect with a guy, uh, the right tone, making sure that on one hand, they know how much you care for them and how much you, you want to help them. But on the other hand, doing it in a real way where you're not afraid to set the bar high. Uh, you know, there's days where maybe you don't find the right tone and then you, you, yeah, ask yourself uh, how you can do it better. But, but that's an important part uh, of the work of coaching. And, and, and look, I, I have really uh, enjoyed the relationship that I've built over the years with so many of the players. Uh, and, and it comes from uh, everybody being on the same page and working together. And then finally, part of coaching, of course, is, you know, you're going to lead from the front and you're going to catch heat. You know this. Jesse Marsh, as an example, who was with you at Princeton back in the day, is coaching Leeds United now. He talked about the stigma against American coaches in England and even how Ted Lasso connects to that. Like, you were the first American to manage in the EPL. Marsh has said that he was really angry with how you were treated. What was that time like for you? 
I loved being there. I knew the challenges. I knew what I was getting into. Um, wish it had lasted longer, but the margins uh, in the EPL are small. And, you know, you have some – in those initial games, you've got to take some points. Uh, you know, I still know that we had a couple of draws, Watford and then at Everton, where I felt like, man, those are days we should have taken three instead of one. And when you let let a couple of those points slip by, then – uh, the, the 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 margin of of keeping that team going and and especially when you're you're a club that's in that that promotion relegation fight yeah that's a challenge um, you know I was excited for it I wish it had lasted longer I think Jesse's done an excellent job of uh, getting into leads getting his arms around things he he handled the whole uh, Marcelo Bielsa part of it really well I, I think he has taken his ideas which are not so much man-to-man oriented as Bielsa but still are very much about um, getting players to run and compete and uh, and the tempo of the game I think he's been able to take his ideas and 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 quickly get uh the players that, that had loved Bielsa on board. And so that speaks to the work Jesse's been doing. And then finally, it's a really interesting response that you just shared. I would just ask you this, like when you talk about those margins or maybe the margins as small as they are, are they even smaller or less for an American coach? Yeah, they're smaller. Um, they're smaller for a lot of coaches. Um, when you go and you have to prove yourself, uh, you've got to show right from the beginning. And so, a couple of results here or there help. Um, I, I, I think the bottom line is as competitive as top leagues are, um, even if you get some points early on, you'll never completely be out of it because, uh, you know, that's the nature of the league. If, if, you, if you went to the EPL right now and you looked at the form chart for the bottom 10 teams, uh, you'll see how hard it is. You'll see that teams go through stretches where out of five, six games, they, they take a point or two. Uh, and, and keeping everybody rolling and fighting through those stretches and taking points when they're there, you know, I, I think that's where Norwich and, and Watford were really important results for, for Jesse. Um, he's got some tough games coming up, um, but, but taking three points on those days uh, that was very important. Such a great conversation. I'm fired up once again. He is the head coach and sporting director of Toronto FC, three-time MLS Coach of the Year. Philadelphia is at Toronto on Saturday. He is Bob Bradley. Bob, I want to reiterate, I appreciate this relationship. I appreciate that long-form conversation right there. Thank you so much, and it is great to have you back on this show, Bob. Always good, Jim. Keep it going. Good night, now!